How many microservices does it take to confuse an engineer? Not as many as you'd think. Cut through complexity in your applications using Splunk Observability Cloud. Learn more and get a free trial at splk.it slash sopodcast. That's splk.it slash sopodcast. Make sure you use that link and you'll let them know the podcast sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Matt Kiernander. What's going on, Matt? Hello. Nice to be here. We are getting to the end of the year. We're going to try to take you out with a few new things that are happening in the world of technology, a few things that are interesting about the world of software, tools, tips, tricks. Matt, I wanted to touch on the obvious. All the chatter on Twitter from every sector available, all the chatter on social media is people sharing Wonderful examples of the new GPT chat showing off. It can do a lot of fun things. It can write an episode of Seinfeld about Jerry getting ready to figure out the bubble sort algorithm. (laughs) That one really made me laugh. Some people are a little cynical about whether or not this is art or comedy or just AI extrusion. But what have you seen? What are some of your favorite things that have come across the way? And then we'll talk a little bit about how Stack Overflow is dealing a bit with some of what this bot can do. To be honest, I, I actually haven't seen anything. I, I haven't been on Twitter all weekend, Good for you. funnily enough. I know, yeah, I right. feel very zen and calm. So unfortunately, I, I can't be able to chime in with uh, any of the chat GPT. For those of you who don't know, including myself, what is chat GPT and how can people use it? Sure, so folks at OpenAI who were behind the system that powers Copilot on GitHub, OpenAI works closely with Microsoft. They've released a version, which is sort of like the next turn of the wheel for GPT-3, call it GPT-3.5 or you know whatever, that's much more conversational. So you say, I would like you to write me an essay on you know the history of early Dutch settlement in America. It can do that. I'd like you to write that essay, but with more detail. It does that. I'd like you to write that essay, but in the style of the comedian George Carlin. It does that. And then also, you know, because it's got the same stuff behind it as the copilot, you can say, I'd like to write an app in Python that does X, and it, it gives you back some code that does that. So people have been showing it off, and it's making its best guess as to what you want, what it thinks the next, you know, set of characters in the sequence should be based on ingesting all the information on the internet and finding patterns. So the one thing it doesn't do is give you like a confidence interval. So a lot of folks have been saying, well, this is pretty interesting, throwing in some Stack Overflow questions. How do I, you know, what, what do I do here? It gives back an answer. It looks pretty good, but if you actually, you know, run it all the way through, it doesn't work. So our mods have briefly turned it off, not permanently, just to, you know, get a sort of handle on this because it's overwhelming the speed with which it can generate what feels like, you know, a good idea, a good attempt, a good answer to X. I mean, the, the biggest argument I've seen kind of, against a lot of this AI generation stuff is that when it comes to nuance and context, the AIs just don't have that capability yet. It's one thing to be like, give me an essay in the style of George Carlin because it can go through all of George Carlin's scripts and generate something that seemingly is a George Carlin script. But when when you start looking at the details, that's where things get a little bit a little bit trickier. So yeah, I had asked it to write an essay and then I said include footnotes and it did include footnotes or I said include links to your sources or whatever and it included those and I was like, "Wow, amazing." But all the links 
they weren't real links. Like they were all 404s, but they looked, you know, it was like, this looks like a real link. This looks like the kind of thing where you would have learned this. So that was like an example where it was like, this is what a link where I might've learned this would look like, not the actual link. Right. So yeah, there's a bit of a, a logic gap there. And then, yeah, for the coding stuff, I mean, it can be small mistakes. It can be big mistakes, but it's just like, just as we've talked about many times, you know, you don't want to copy paste without looking one layer deeper. If you're copy pasting from Stack Overflow, as we've talked about many times, you might be introducing bugs and security errors and other vulnerabilities, you know, copy paste with care. They solve the same issue, essentially. Like a lot of what Stack Overflow does is somebody has a question and they get an answer. And a lot of the times it's not the exact correct answer that will fit within your code base. It's just a really good point of reference to be like, this is the foundation of the answer. And then you can kind of modify it to integrate with whatever you're doing. I think that that's very much, you know, more the way it should be looked at. It's like, this is a sketch and, you Mm. know, you've got to run this through and test it and see if it works, you know, see what errors it kind of puts out. And then from there, you know, you could apply yourself. So like, it's very much, it's giving you like a a rough draft. That would be so weird if Stack eventually included AI for some like kind of default or draft answers. So say for example, you post a question, you get an AI response, which is, have you tried this? It seems inevitable, right? I mean, like these models are going to be pretty open source. You know, we have an equal amount of great data about coding as anybody else in the world, and we're trying to help people solve problems. So, you know, I'm getting this error. Why do you think this is happening? The AI will give you an answer. If it solves your problem, great, let's move on. If it doesn't, let's ask an expert, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, next on my list, I had something called Replit, which popped up in my Twitter feed today, and it was about coding on mobile, which I thought was really fun. Do you know anybody who does this or anybody who has ideas for just whatever device I'm on in the moment I'm inspired or I want to collaborate with my team, pop in into the IDE and get going? No, because I feel like that's almost a, a psychopathic thing to want to do, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's, it's really difficult to be on your phone programming because it's a very, you know, it's, it's kind of like you a need sprawl. a pegboard. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You need all your different little documentation and devices and and windows and stuff like that open i can imagine programming on a a mobile device to be an incredibly challenging thing to do so i don't know anybody who's done it to be honest or has expressed a a want to do that i remember paul ford talking about this just sort of saying like this is something i like to do is read code on the bus sometimes you know check Mm. in and like it gives just sort of gets my brain working but you have to be right a total um, wild maniac to uh, actually want to do a lot of your work like this. But I don't know. I mean, I think like in areas where maybe people don't have access to a very advanced or complicated system, this could be a good starting point, you know, or yeah, like, you know, you're just feeling inspired. You want to make a small tweak or, you know, somebody throws a PR your way and you're living that remote lifestyle. You can make a small change. So I, I kind of want to have these people on the show to talk about how they do it. They say they've got their own IDE and package manager and all this stuff that kind of tries to pull together a lot of the more powerful tools into a mobile-friendly version. Not sure I believe it, but worth looking into. Because the thing is now, it's mobile devices are powerful enough where they can run a lot of these things. Like we, yeah. A lot of the iPhones, are, there's, there's more than enough juice there to be able to do the things that we do with, with our laptops, for the most part, unless you're doing anything with containers or anything that's you know large databases or that kind right. of stuff. I can understand... So for example, I've been looking more into like algorithms and stuff like that recently and, uh, you know, sitting on the bus or on the train or whatever and looking at like how people implemented certain problems and been able to run that. Like mm-hmm. I have to use like Codapad or Stashpad or one of those kind of like web-based online IDEs to be able to kind of like mock up a quick algorithm and run it and right. test it. So something like that would be quite useful. Like if, if they, say for example, implemented like a, 
algorithm training course, which is where you're looking at smaller discrete units of functionality or even things like CSS snippets where you have pickle Rick and CSS and you can kind of dive into <laughs> that and tweak it and do that kind of thing. Uh, I can yeah. understand the use case for that. I think like you were pointing out, some of this stuff is starting to become table stakes, right? Like this has its own little you know AI code assistant in here. If you aren't able to use Git at the moment, it's got its own little multiplayer version in here. Oh, cool. So they're playing around with a bunch of ideas. Doesn't seem like something that would be adopted by a large enterprise, but it's kind of like a grab bag of a bunch of what ifs. What if what if we just did this? So yeah. if anybody's messed around with it and has something to say, we'd love to hear if folks have other ideas for how they code a mobile, I'd be interested. I, I don't want to poo-poo on this at all because it's always fun seeing interesting things that haven't been right. done before pop up. So yeah, if you do have a valid use case for this and want to share it, please let us know. Are you on Mastodon? Do you have your own Mastodon server? Can I hop over there? Isn't it basically just sending each other email? Explain Mastodon to me like I'm five. Honestly, I haven't looked into it just yet. I've I've opened up the page and it, it looks alarmingly similar to LinkedIn, if I'm being honest. That was the vibe <laughs> that I got. And that's yeah. the last thing that I need, if I'm being honest, is another another LinkedIn clone. But as things progress with Twitter, it seems like there's a lot of people trying to solve the same problem space that, that Twitter had. There are companies building things from scratch. There are existing platforms like Tumblr and, and Mastodon, which are trying to kind of take some of that market share away and become the next yeah. thing. From what I've seen, a lot of people are jumping across to Mastodon as the kind of like primary alternative. I'm not sure if it's fueled by they're just wanting to have a digital footprint there in case something goes wrong or whether or not it's... The life raft, yeah. I've seen exactly. that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. How, how have you been progressing with your Twitter usage over the last couple of weeks? I took the app off my phone just to chill out for a little bit. I only use it when I'm on desktop. And I don't know. It, to me, I don't know if it's because of the GPT chat stuff that dropped or whatever, but for some reason, I've been enjoying it a lot more recently. It feels like a lot more technical, interesting, like just sort of focused on what people are building and learning and a little bit less drama in my feed in particular. I don't, I don't really know why that is, but that's been my experience of late. I cut back on it a little and I've been enjoying it a little bit more. I've actually been, I've taken off all notifications from Instagram on my phone. I've also deleted the Twitter app and just use it on desktop when I'm working. And I found my phone not going off every 15 seconds to 30 minutes. It has been yeah. quite Nice, actually. I, I smell a New Year's resolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Yeah, yeah the yeah, digital yeah. detox. Uh, I am going to have a look into Mastodon after this, though, and just see whether or not there's any content on there that I especially vibe with. But my Twitter feeds over the last week has been predominantly people complaining about Twitter, right. which has been frustrating. And then people calling out people complaining about Twitter, which then creates more discourse about Twitter. Yeah. Too much. All right. This is one that Cassidy dropped into the newsletter, which is coming out next week. So it'll have been out. Physicists have created a wormhole using a quantum computer. Sounds like sci-fi. Sounds kind of terrifying. But luckily, it's only a holographic wormhole. So not the real deal. And also, you know, this is how we learn. The unprecedented experiment explores the possibility that space-time somehow emerges from quantum information, even as the work's interpretation remains disputed. I mean, all I need to know is that they're, they've made a wormhole of some kind, and I feel satisfied with that. I think ever since we did that episode, he, I think he was working at quantum computing at Amazon. Yes, from AWS. Yeah. yeah. That was probably one of the episodes that we had that really kind of like shook my perception around 
a future because the quantum computing stuff, it's solving really difficult problems for us. And whenever I see anything that comes up with quantum computing, I take a lot more interest in it now knowing about the kind of problem space that a lot of these uh, highly intelligent people are, are working on. Yeah, I believe some of this may have come out of the Caltech lab, which is where the Amazon quantum solutions like program that's where their sort of partnership with academia is based so i think there may be something to that when they say create a hologram is that like a physical hologram that we can actually see in the real world or is this a digital hologram i'm not quite sure of the nomenclature there let me look here unlike an ordinary hologram the wormhole isn't something we can see while it can be considered a filament of real space-time according to co-author daniel jeffers of harvard university yeah that's what I was going to say, a filament of real space time. Oh, yeah. You just had that kicking around in the back of your, back of your a, brain. It was right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think basically it's like in concept, in theory, in digital space, in maybe even like a projection of digital space, they've made a wormhole. In our seeable, touchable, you know, physical reality, no, they have not. But that's how quantum works. You know, it makes makes fools of all the smartest people who are trying their best to make physics make sense. And then it sort of remains just outside our grasp. I do kind of wonder, just with how technology has been progressing over the last, let's take the last 50 years, for instance, where, you know, we were solving problems like, say, for example, developing radio transmitters and then Bluetooth. And then, you know, we had things like uh, Wi-Fi and iPhones, computers, all that kind of stuff. And the problem space seems to be getting more and more difficult as we move right. into kind of like quantum computing, AI, all that kind of stuff. It seems like the envelope between like where people can contribute to technology yeah. is yeah. being pushed further and further and further up where people are having to study for longest periods of time to be able to generate value. That's true. But you don't have to study at all to have to ask the AI to do something miraculous and it'll just do it for you in a second. Very true. Maybe this is the tipping point. Yeah. All right, everybody. I had one more thing I just wanted to shout out. We can't really share it with you on the podcast, but I'll put it in the show notes. Disney shared their latest AI tool that can either make you look older or younger. And in the past, they used to achieve this sort of effect in Hollywood. They would film and they'd go in frame by frame and somebody would, you know, retouch it. Oh, wow. Or, you know, you'd wear a rubber mask or whatever. This one is really astonishing. It's like, you know, if you had this greatest Snapchat filter of all time in 4K, but as I'm moving around, you know, like it's sticking to my face. So go check out the note in the show links. I feel like pretty soon you're going to be able to stare in the mirror and like really <laughs> like get a pretty concrete picture of what you're going to look like for better or worse. I don't know. It's a really awesome demo. The folks at the Disney like AI Imagineering stuff are always releasing cool demos of what they've been working on. So I, I really hope they don't come out with smart mirrors that can kind of incorporate filters as part Ooh. of that. Ooh, that would be yeah. pretty brutal. This is what you will look like if you don't do X. And then there's there's <laughs> yeah. a link to the product. Yeah. Yeah. It like syncs up with all your nutrition and fitness goals and be like, this is your projected outcome in two right, years right. time. Exactly. Oof. <laughs> Our new Black Mirror episode coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's give a shout out to Ralph HTP for winning a lifeboat badge, coming on Stack Overflow and saving some knowledge from the dustbin of history. How to listen for and react to Ace Editor change events. Appreciate it, Ralph. You've helped almost 20,000 people. It's always great to see folks come on and spread a little knowledge around the community. 
I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. And I'm Matt Kiernander. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online on Twitter and YouTube at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye.